Brian, did you hear what happened with me getting tennis balls in deep Brooklyn? You mentioned this, yeah. It's Thanksgiving. It's a beautiful sunny day. I like tennis. My brother-in-law likes tennis as well, as does my son. So we get in the car. We're going to go play tennis. We got no fucking tennis balls. We go to Target. Target's closed. There's nowhere else to get tennis balls. Last ditch effort, I type into Google Maps, tennis balls near me. Okay. How stupid is that? Deep in the list is some like Brooklyn tennis something or other, right? And I call the number just, why not? I call the number, it rings to Google phone or whatever. And they said, do you want him to, and they'll say, he'll call you back. Or if he's around, he'll call you back. Two seconds later, I get a call from a guy. Yeah, I got tennis balls. Come over and get them. They're right by the tennis court. I go to this guy's apartment building, right? I'm like, I don't know what button to press. I call him again. He's like, I'll be right down. I got three sleeves. And I say, do you take Ben Moe? He goes, yeah. I give him the 18 bucks. Ely and Troy, my brother-in-law, are in the car immediately out front of his apartment building deep in Brooklyn. And I'm, I thank you very much. I walk back to the car and he yells out, are you Troy? And I go, <laughs> yeah. And he goes, media Troy? And I go, uh, I don't know. I guess so. And he goes, I read your newsletter and listen to your podcast every week. Oh, wow. I really love them. That's how great the internet is. People vs. Algorithms is a show about detecting patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Marcy, writer of the Rebooting Newsletter and a podcast of the same name. And each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive, investor, and advisor, Troy Young, who writes the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, as well as Alex Schleifer of Universal Entities. This show is produced by Jay Sparks of Pod Help Us. What's now called the open web, as opposed to the closed web that is the world of apps and platforms, is having a premature midlife crisis. The user patterns and business models that supported the open web in the past are themselves past their prime. I was drawn to the ideas of Web3 for the reason that many held some promise to putting the open web on surer footing. Now, needless to say, the crypto crash has put a damper on those hopes. This week, Troy, Alex, and I discussed the fate of the open web through the lens of building sustainable business models for content published there. For the most part, the open web has been supported by advertising. After all, we were told endlessly that content wants to be free. The idea that far larger audiences combined with sophisticated ad targeting would result in robust businesses did not come to pass. Almost nobody is happy with the experience of digital publishing these days. And one key failure that we discussed this week is around micropayments. These have come up every few years as a silver bullet solution to the problems of the open web. And logic says that micropayments should exist. Even the most successful publishers convert only a small fraction of their total audience to paying subscribers. But they never work. And that's because misaligned incentives. What makes sense for the audience does not make sense for publishers. Now, the other lens this week is around advertising. Now, this week we had a big deal between Yahoo and Cibola, the leading content recommendation ad network. Now, content recommendation ads are those at the bottom of web pages that you often see 
and people regularly roll their eyes at them. They're titillating, they're designed to hijack attention. Um, they're often used as a front for lead gen businesses. They're not the artistic ads that discerning people claim to like. But here's the thing, content recommendation ads work and they have in large part supported the open web over the last five to seven years. And they work because the audience likes them. And so we talk a little bit about like why this is an important deal and what it means for developing the models that will support an open web. I hope you enjoy the show. As always, please do send me your feedback. My email is bmorrissey at gmail.com. And please do leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I want to start by talking this week a, b- a little bit about micropayments, because I feel like this is an, an idea that keeps cropping up again and again. And, and this week, it, it came back with something called Post News. Have you seen Post News, either of you? I know you have, Alex. You t- you uh, you posted about it. Yeah, I'm struggling with the... I applied, but I didn't get an approval yet. Oh, my God. Did you put in your like credentials? No, I put in one word, two words. I don't want, I don't need those guys evaluating yeah. me. And listen, I'm not like going to, you know, go to my way to kind of beg that guy to let me into the beta. Yeah, yeah. It's like, do you really want to go and ask the bouncer for a favor? No. Stop. Nobody wants to do that. It's humiliating. And life is filled with small humiliations enough to add to them. Yeah, big ones. <laughs> big ones. Yeah, but those, at least, you usually do them for money. But the founder of Waze, or at least the CEO, former CEO of Waze, not the founder, he started this. So he's got a big, good, good track record. And I love the idea of it, of going back to the original social media where it wasn't just you know an echo chamber and also a fight to the death over everything. And so he started this thing and the payments are baked into the product. And the idea is you're going to be able to do a micropayment for paywalled content. And this never works. This is I, I wrote about it this week because I feel like ever since I started writing about this area, there was always someone trying to make micropayments work and they always fail. Well, is it about making micropayments work or is it about creating a vital distribution outlet for media? I think that you need to separate those two, right? One is, what is it about the quality of experience, about how information is delivered, about the social mechanics of it that are going to make it intoxicating for new users that want to... I mean, you basically have... You're fighting a tremendous amount of habitual inertia in terms of where people get content, right? And yeah, it's an opportunistic time to do it because, you know, so many people want to want to run away from Elon. But at first, forget about micropayments. You have to create an experience that people find, you know, useful and addictive and that is by its nature addictive enough that it creates habit, which is always the challenge on the Internet, right? You don't own a place on the dial, so you got to create habit. And so that my issue isn't like, can I click? Anybody can create micropayments. Can I click to pay for something? And in this case, it's abstracted, like it's points or something, right? Like you buy points. That seems reasonable. You can do that, by the way, on Reddit. Like you can do it elsewhere. But what it, what about the experience makes it like fun and addictive? Like that's what I would ask you. You guys have been using it. I mean, I've been using it a little bit. I, I don't, it, to me, it, it looks and feels a lot like Twitter, but without the people and you know, these things are always the values in the network, not in the technology. So I guess whether the micropayments part, I guess, works is irrelevant because they have to have a network for it to even matter. Totally. 
And then you have to look at... I'm finding it hard to use. Why do you find it hard to use? You're just used to Twitter? I think the the issue that they have... I mean, beyond the fact that I I think they're making some uh, odd choices visually and with a name and putting a period at the end of the name and it's called post and that type of stuff doesn't feel like something you want to talk about, right? I think there's a whole lot of like visual and branding issues with it. But the main thing that I think that they're trying to do is put different types of content within one feed. And I always find that's very difficult to parse. So you'll have things that have a title, things that don't, things that have a paragraph. And so as you're scanning through it, it it just becomes a mess of things that you can't engage with. While the, the genius of Twitter is that every post is essentially more or less the same there's a format. It's understood, but formats matter. Yeah, and the format forces people to the format forces people to structure content in a way that is easy to parse when you're going through hundreds of them. While Post is trying hard to allow people to post any type of content, and I think it's it's struggling. And once again, like you know, you mentioned Reddit, Troy. Reddit also solved that issue. Struggling. It hasn't even launched yet. Give them a break. Now I'm on Post side. Post dot. I just think the UX is off. I don't think it's... Troy can't even get in. You're already dismissing them before Troy even got it. Well, but I don't think it's going... Like, Troy talked about something that's addictive and fun to use, and I don't think it is. And at, at the core... It's not fun. At its core is what they need to solve <laughs> first, I think. There's also this, I don't know, this sort of toolmaker's ar- arrogance, it seems here, where someone... And he's smart. I, I listened to him talk about the problems that you know he was trying to solve on... I don't know, was it a podcast with Scott and Pivot. who's on Pivot. And, yeah. you know, people that have successfully made like a tool in the past or fancy themselves good product people, like in this case, made something extraordinary with ways, think they can solve for what are seemingly simple problems with media. And I think it's probably one of the hardest product challenges. But isn't the, isn't the hard product challenge because there's so many constituencies to yes. serve? Like, because yes. that's my point mm-hmm. with the micropayments. For this to like work, because you need to solve for two sides. You need to get users to find this very valuable, but then you have to have publishers, you know, who also find it very valuable as a way, as a distribution mechanism. Well, that's kind of what I was getting to. So it's a very, very difficult balancing act of constituencies, whether it's been advertisers, publishers, and consumers, that makes you know building media systems really difficult. But the micropayments part, let me just go back to the micropayments part, because I'm like obsessed with this idea. Maybe I'm not obsessed with it, but I wrote I about it. I think it's stupid. Why do you think it's stupid? The thing is, it just doesn't work for, it doesn't work for publishers. It does not work. The bundle works for publishers. Their publication is a bundle of content. Do I want to buy? I I subscribe to Peacock, right? And I subscribe to Peacock because the Eagles are playing on Sunday night like three times this year. I do not want Peacock. I do not watch whatever is on Peacock. I don't care. If there was a option for me to buy an Eagles game just a la carte, I would absolutely take that. That is the consumer move. That does not work for NBC Universal. And there's a reason. Like this is it's this also, does not work for publishers, the, 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 right? And the fundamental mechanic of Getting me, as Alex said, to sort through and make sense of multiple formats, multiple media brands, multiple points of view inside of a feed. And then after consuming one, elect, make this decision whether I'm going to be charitable and pay for that content either in advance or afterwards just feels like a lot of work. It's just like, it's not going to compete with the way that we consume media on the internet. 
Yeah. We're introducing a new type of friction, this sort of cognitive friction around how am I going to allocate my money? Yeah. Although, you know, the people that already had the network, they had the best shot at making at making this kind of thing work and they didn't. So I don't know. Well, let's, let's, do you think, do you think Apple News has a shot? So look at the people that are aggregating content from multiple brands and, and reflect for a minute on whether it's successful or not. So what Apple News did is they bought a set of relationships from established publishers that were, it was actually owned by a consortium of, of, of publishers and it, the, the name of it is escaping me. They bought that company and turned it into Apple News. Okay. And you know, Hearst owned part of it. So we were part of that transaction. There were other people that owned part, Meredith, Condé, et cetera. And they turned it into Apple News. And with that, they got a host of publisher relationships and the thing was immediately filled with content. But what was most important to the success of that product is that they're, they've inserted themselves into your phone in ways that are unavoidable, right? So now if you swipe left on the knife, it was called texture before. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're talking about texture. Oh yeah. Texture. So Apple News, you know, I think they did a sort of, you know, like a good job on the product. If you want to use Apple News Plus, you get unfettered. But is the product good? I mean, the product is only... It's it's pretty good. It's used a lot, but it's not... Is it good? Well, it's... it's I mean, it's like iTunes. Is iTunes a good product? It's a shitty product. That's the answer. Well, you mean Apple Music? I, I don't think Apple News is a good product. But I think it's the same thing as Apple Music. It's not as good as Spotify's in some ways. In some other ways, it's much more elegant, but it's right there. It's one subscription. I already paid for it. Yeah. So I think news is better than most. I, it's a bundle I buy from Apple. It includes music. It includes news. It includes yeah. storage. It includes games. It's always there inside of iOS. Listen, if you don't want to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal or to Bloomberg, you can get most of those services inside of Apple. I think it's a great product for lots of people. I guess what I mean by like, it's not a very good product. It's just that they have distribution with Apple. Like the best, the, I think one of the big lies of Silicon Valley is that the, the best product wins. And time and again, it's proven to be a lie. It's the person who has the dominant position can shove whatever they want down your throat wins. Like Facebook did? I mean, Apple did it with Bono. Remember with the U2? album nobody wanted that well i would say that was probably not a successful uh try that i i looked here's the thing i think bono finally apologized for it by the way recently apple news is good enough and they own the means of that distribution and it's so integrated that it works really well there's not a bunch of stuff that is much better than that but i think it feels to me like independent microtransactions were dead in the water the second the web didn't bake them in right from the beginning and therefore, the only people that can actually bake it in are the people who control the devices and the operating systems. So yeah. it's got to be Apple or Google at the end of the day. It is an interesting exercise to think if the web was built with transactions baked in instead of advertising, that if, if it always was built with transactions in mind natively, we'd probably be in a better position right now. I think we would. It's one of the big disappointments, I think, that people like me who are so optimistic and innocent about where the web would go wanted to keep it free. So the idea of transactions was probably seen as something negative, but instead we let advertisers take over. And Troy made that happen. Thank you. Answer for your sins, Troy. 
Well, I would just say maybe just as a way to, to finish up this conversation, it's put a bow on it, put a bow on it. The thing that is most often overlooked when people create new media entities is how the logic or a distribution strategy is built into whatever they're doing. And it's so central that the people, the hackers, the people that understand kind of, you know, viral loops and, you know, how to take advantage of distribution positions, whether that's optimizing for search or in its day, you know, optimizing for social or finding ways to piggyback other people's distribution or their own, as in the case of Apple, they really struggled. Every new media venture needs a very clear plan of attack. And it's not clear to me that that's what Post has got. Yeah. Just a final thing, because I know we were putting a bow on it, but Alex, what's your critiques on the product side? Like, what is the, because you've, product guy, you've, you've experienced it. What do you, where do you think it's falling short? So I'm trying to be mindful because it's very much in beta, but I think I've got a pretty good sense of what feels like product strategy versus, you know, like time needed in execution. I do think that the, the feed just looks messy because it's embeds, it's, uh, headlines, it's things without headlines. And what I've noticed is that people get into some sort of flow when they open an app, right? And so whether it's TikTok, where they feel like they're going to watch videos or Instagram or Twitter, it's very hard to keep swapping between these types of states. And so it, it means that the not only is the content shown in all sorts of different messy ways, it also means that people aren't forced down a path of creating content in a specific way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Right, like Twitter kind of forces you to do things in a specific way. And all the other stuff I think to me is is pretty visual and can be fixed, you know, over time. But I think probably like a, a critical flaw in, in, in this where it's just a big messy feed of stuff and we've tried before. Which is to say that constraints are the product. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it it is funny because the the knock on Twitter, which is true, is that it didn't it didn't evolve the product enough and it, it stayed hostage to the 140 characters. And then I guess that guy who got fired finally got through the 280 characters and ended up just getting fired a few years later, like over email. But, you know, they didn't evolve it enough, but at the same time that ended up becoming a bit of a strength to some degree, but they were kind of trapped by it, weren't they? Yeah, I think they were, it doesn't, to me, it's less about, is it 280 or 140 I think it was probably the right call. 140 was the SMS limit. That's why they started mm -hmm. there. 280 made more sense with language and how you want to communicate short form, right? So that was just a logical transition. I think the, the issues with Twitter not doing any innovation was like, it took them so long to add the edit button. It's still not complete. It took them so long. They could have added tipping. They could have added uh, better ways to have conversations and threads. They could have had a better advertising products, et cetera, et cetera. They, that's the stuff they didn't add. I think at its core, Twitter is actually quite powerful because it forces people down a path of creating content. The tools define the system, right? Like the tools that TikTok has creates a specific type of content on TikTok that people like to engage with. And you're constantly surprised, yet you don't have to constantly restructure your brain to kind of follow what's going on, if that makes sense. And that constraint is, it wasn't on purpose, I think, but it's really useful. And oftentimes people that make products don't have the discipline to, to, to add constraints because they want to please everyone and Post wants to please everyone. And they're not making readers happy.
Okay, let's move on to the second topic. And then this is also about the open web to a degree. And that is Yahoo this week took a 25% stake in Taboola content recommendation ad network, sometimes sometimes tarred as as being a clickbait network. But Taboola is everywhere. Taboola and, and Outbrain and content recommendation uh, networks have basically supported the open web to a degree. Like People don't like to think about it too much because everyone complains about these ads at the bottom of, of article pages, but they work. People click on them. And I find that interesting, but I also find it interesting is, is Yahoo's making this bet, right? I mean, this is a company that has in it with through AOL it probably has like 50 different ad tech companies within it and i would think a native ad network would not be that difficult considering how much they bought gemini well they have a they have a they have a native product and it's called gemini yeah I, they bought the m particle founders previous company to build Gem, gemini i don't remember but they had it and now they're going to basically outsource the tech so anyway a lot of different wrinkles here troy why don't we start with you What's your take on the deal? Well, I'm happy for those guys. I'm happy for Adam and I'm happy for, for the Yahoo guys for lots of reasons. I think that there was an ambition inside of AOL and Yahoo to build a holistic SSP, DSP ad ecosystem around what was and what still is a very, very large distribution position of Yahoo and that they could connect up the Yahoo inventory data set around an earlier their search inventory around an SSP, which they built, and they had a, a native access point to, to, to the inventory called Gemini. And then they had a DSP that would allow you to buy, you know, Yahoo as well as, you know, all kinds of other inventory types. And it was hugely ambitious. It still does have a fair amount of revenue in it, but it had an enormous, enormous cost structure. And so it was hard to combine the need to be kind of horizontal to compete with the trade desks, the Googles, the Taboolas of the world, and yet kind of build it on this kind of vertical that was Yahoo. And so it got kind of mired in that where the economics weren't particularly good. It did not have the scale. And meanwhile, on, let's focus on the, on the native side, Adam and to a lesser extent Outbrain were out sewing up publisher relationships to build a very, very large distribution footprint. Adam was the most aggressive. And, and so you had basically, they were either going to have to put lots and lots of money against it as Gemini, even with Yahoo to compete against this kind of the network power of Taboola or say, you know, let's kind of surrender, let, let Taboola monetize our positions, give us an opportunity to buy into Taboola's position through our DSP. And, and then, you know, reduce the amount of money we're spending building our own platforms. So I think it made a lot of sense. I think what you saw here, though, that's different from old Yahoo is the, the Apollo guys and the new management at Yahoo are really, really smart, capable people. And they're not going to trade away strategic positions at Yahoo without getting something significant in return. And so rather than saying, we'll sign a deal and you can take advantage of this wonderful distribution opportunity we're giving you, they said, we'll sign a deal with you, but we're taking a quarter of the company. And so there's a kind of win-win in it. Everybody's aligned. Uh, Yahoo's incented to build lots of value inside of Taboola. Yahoo gets the opportunity to reduce the invest, huge investment in developing their own, their own platform. 
and they can sell into it so they can still be relevant to advertisers. And they own a part of this company that, quite frankly, looks like it's kind of winning this race. And besides that, you're backing this horse that is Adam, Adam, the CEO of, of Singola, who's the CEO of Gula, who's proven to be an incredible deal maker and, uh, and a very aggressive CEO. So I think it's good. I think it's really good. Good for Yahoo. And it's really good because Yahoo needs just momentum. This lot, they just need momentum. I mean, is this momentum just like swapping, swapping out the tech they were using for a competitor's technology? Yeah. And with, you know, guarantee with revenue guarantees. Yeah. Yeah. I am very interested though, in the content recommendation ad network. Again, every, everyone. Well, that's a different question, right? You're now, if you want to shift the conversation and talk about. <laughs> yeah, I do. I want to talk about content recommendation ad networks. Well, you want to talk about this real estate that Taboola owns all over the internet and what has it become and what is essentially the ad format that sits inside of it? Because it's a weird thing. It is a very weird thing. And to me, what Taboola and Outbrain and to a lesser extent, some of their competitors did was they took, they took real estate. And in a way, it was a little bit like search results originally. It was, you know, the least valuable, some of the least valuable real estate on the web. And they turned it into some of the most valuable real estate. I don't know if this is some of the most valuable, but like taking what is usually the bottom of like article pages and turning it into a, you know, these are, these are sizable like companies. I mean, they're talking about a billion dollars in revenue just from content recommendation like ads. So I just always find there's this disconnect between yeah, on Yahoo alone, like there's a disconnect between the stuff that people find attractive about like uh, digital media economics and the stuff that people find that the stuff that is is very profitable to some degree. Right. Yeah, it's a little like late night television down there, right? I mean, it's pretty sort. You know, it's <laughs> nasty. Here's the interesting part about that: why, you know, like. Why does why do they feel like they do? Why do those content recommendations, you know, why are they that way? And so you put a bunch of squares, that you put a bunch of squares at the bottom of an article. You do your best to take signal off the page to target those, and then you let the market compete for clicks. And the competition, it's, it wasn't, by the way, it wasn't about retargeting, although you can retarget off of those. So instead of seeing the other scourge of the internet, which is a product following you around Critio style, in these, in this particular piece of real estate was more about content marketing. So you get these ridiculous appeals to like the human psyche that are, that where people are competing in ridiculous ways for your attention. And um, over time, hopefully it changes and becomes, you know, more, more useful, but it doesn't seem to be super useful. No, it's not going to change. This is, <laughs> I, it's just the way it is. The things that people say, you know, and what they do are, are often different, or at least in humanity. Like, I mean, the complaints when about digital advertising, now that the pop-ups have been mostly like put away usually are about retargeting and like the content recommendation ads. And the truth is they work. And the reason that they work is because people love to click on this, that stuff. They love it.
Well, because it becomes it just becomes an expectation on your PL. Like it just becomes something that holds a place in your PL. So uh the thing is is that you wanna do it with the mind of a product person, which means you put very crystalline recommendations in there that that force internal recirculation. And you hope that doing that, so if I'm on, you know, a Vogue page, I'm gonna take you through a thoughtful, you know, click next to another article that you through recirculation would make more money. And the irony of the web is that it's a hit and run environment and that people often don't use those links at the bottom of the page to go to another article and read another article on your site. Therefore, the trade-off is, can I take more money from Adam, who's going to, you know, psychotically optimize that space better than I ever can? Or should I kind of be more purist about it and put my own recommendations and try to create a recirculation machine on my site? And the math, in most cases, publishers under revenue pressure was to put Adam down. Alex, that must depress you from a product point of view. Isn't there like an opportunity to make these things better? They always look shit. They lo- they make everything slow. And in the last 10 years, it hasn't really gotten substantially better. And it keeps making the web feel like a worse alternative to native apps. And I'm not against advertising. I just think the creative's getting worse. The technology's not getting any better. And it's just not a good product. And I wonder why that still is the case. And, and just disclosure, Troy and I designed a lot of ad units in our day. And also I have a contract with Yahoo. I'm working on some stuff with them. But this stuff is never good, is it? Why isn't it, why isn't it good? Troy, why isn't it good? Because good stuff isn't popular. That's why I find Tabula, Outbrain, and the rest of them like fascinating. I will acknowledge that. I think that's true. But I think that the spinal cord, like the whole use case or the mechanism of, of consuming content on the internet is about going from a kind of uh, intentional, I'm interested in X, I'm going to search for it, go get it, and I'm finished. Or, you know, I've read something on Twitter, I'm going to read that article and, 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 and go on with my business. So the sort of index or spinal cord of the internet lends itself to kind of, you know, article by article consumption and or just this sort of hidden what I called hit and run a minute ago, which means that you go in, you come out, you go in, you come out and you bounce around a lot, which means that what used to be this kind of package, a bundle of content that existed in a physical newspaper or magazine product doesn't really apply. And so what we're trying to do is say, well, wait a minute, we can recirculate you and keep you in our ecosystem longer. And the truth is, is that you got to work so hard to get someone to read the next thing. So we get all that junk that really is, you know, super solicitous at the bottom of a page. And so I don't really know what the answer is because I, I don't think, and I will ask both of you guys, do you, do you sit down in a session and read a group of content from a media brand? You know, do you read multiple pieces of content from a single media brand? And, and I suspect no, right? I mean, we can probably answer that, but I mean, the data shows that no matter what we say, we usually consume 1.2 pages per visit, right? Yeah. Is there anywhere that you go and you hang around and spend a lot of time reading multiple pieces of content? Or is is there a time? Is there a mode? Like, I'll give you an example. On the weekend, for example, I'll open up the information app and I'll read multiple pieces of content. I do that with the, the Substack app. 
I do. That was subsect act two. Yeah, I do. I think for a very specific industry industry stuff, like some video yeah. game publications, I'll go and I'll read like three or four articles. But like general news, no. Yeah, but what you're talking about is app, right? Like, and that's the thing, the open web, which is basically it's about like has lost in some ways to apps. And so the open web is left with the, the this like hit and run super DR and it's a grubby place. Like, I mean, the open web isn't going anywhere. It's just going to become fairly. You, you know, know what it feels one? like is the open, the open web feels a little bit like malls. They're dying mm. out. All the cheap brands are coming in. People keep coming up with new ideas to save them, but none of them are really working out. Like, you know, there's a, the browser company is trying to build a new browser. Uh, Post is trying to build microtransactions. All of these people are trying to save the open web, but it's on a slow decline and getting worse and worse. Meanwhile, I think that's true. And, you know, I, I don't think it's going to go away. And, and I get a little bit emotional about that idea, Alex, because I think that the open web is the greatest gift to the enthusiast, right? There's so much. The web has been just this place of unending indulgence if you're if you're a person interested in anything since i started using it you know decades ago but what it does raise brian and i don't know if this isn't a, a good idea to shift topics um the pressure that that elon and others are now putting on apple uh because he's challenging their control of the app ecosystem both in the editorial, their editorial policy and in their, in the financial structure of, of the app store and, and Apple's absolutely hegemonic kind of position in controlling the kinds of apps that we put on our. So just for those who did not see it, who are not like constantly keeping tabs on Elon Musk, he, one of the many things he's, he's popping off about is Apple taking 30% cuts off of app store. And, you know, Silicon Valley is always like, I think we talked about it the other week. It's most of the business models to me come down to operating toll booths at the end of the day. They, they just call them something different. They control the distribution. So they, they levy taxes. And this is a very heavy tax. I mean, I think it would be more reasonable. They were in a big fight with Epic. I think a few things are interesting. This one is Elon Musk's, I don't know whether it's just for you know, for uh, consumption purposes, but he acts like he's shocked to discover these things that I'm um, surely he should know that this tax existed, but he says he's not going to, that he, that he's not going to pay the tax. And so I think this is an interesting test though, for anyone who is against broadly what Elon Musk is doing about whether you can admit that he's right on this issue. Because he's right on this issue. Like, you should be rooting for Elon Musk. Even the biggest Elon Musk haters, I think on this one, they should probably root for Elon Musk. Oh my God, totally. totally. Alex, you're, you're, a, you're a noted uh, Elon Musk hater. Are you on his side on this one? I'm not. A, God damn it. You know, like, I, the, the, it breaks my heart because I used to be a both Elon and Kanye apologist the same way I was a Jobs apologist. It's like, yes, these people are weird and kind of mean, but look at what they're doing. And I'm, I'm now have to like be on the other side of that argument. I, it's not, yes, he's right. He's right about a lot of things. He's right about a lot of things. It's just the way he goes about it. It's just so disingenuous. Like that thing about like, he just noticed it, <laughs> you know, and he just, he's just doing this thing that a lot of 
very powerful wealthy people are doing is that they're turning themselves into a victim. And I don't think that, I, I don't find that particularly useful. I thought that the argument with Epic was much more interesting. And he just piggybacks and then the news cycle just talks about him as if you, it was his original idea to say, hey, we're paying too much money to Apple, which is, well, you know. I leave that aside, I mean, because he's a celebrity and like, you know, you, you can use the power of celebrity. I mean, Epic, sure. nobody nobody knows Epic. I mean, they know the games, but they don't know Epic. It's just some corporate entity. Sure. And so I don't think it really had that much of an impact on people. I guess a lot of, I guess regular people don't understand the, these these app store policies. I mean, come on, guys. Guys. I mean, Apple hides under people's love for the brand. And many, many times they make good and fair decisions. But like, pull it back a bit. This is ridiculous. Not only, I mean, setting aside perhaps how they benefited from Chinese labor practices all the way to what is a real complete stranglehold on the app ecosystem to, you know, these sort of nobler than thou pronouncements about privacy that have, you know, really changed the fortunes of, 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 of companies in the ad ecosystem. And through it all, people are like, you know, Apple is good and great. And the truth is, is that they deserve tremendous scrutiny here. Okay. If you think about it, more of your time in, you know, there, there is a very restrictive editorial policies that, that governs what apps can be on uh, your phone. And they're taking, like, in on what planet does there, does a 30% tax apply to, to, you know, their distribution position? This is, this is monopolistic bullying and they should be challenged. And the great thing about guys like Elon is they exist along a continuum from pure evil to you know, greatness, depending on how you see him. But in the middle, there's a lot to be learned. Like that agitation is actually useful for culture and, and our society. So like when he rips apart a company to expose, you know, perhaps a deep culture of entitlement in Silicon Valley and, you know, incredible headcount and salaries that really are disguising these egregious margins that these companies have had forever. That's essentially what's going on mm -hmm. because they tax the internet. Like Google is an incredible tax on everything you do on the internet. And with that, they have 200,000 employees that make $300,000 a year. And now we're starting to look at that and say, well, you know, is there, are they abuse? Is there a kind of abusive power position here that we should that we should be critical of. So anyway, I think that however you look at the, the one thing I discovered, I, I didn't publish my newsletter last week because I took a week off. And one of the things that I noticed how many, how I was just surrounded in takes on Elon and Twitter. It's like, you know, in the old days, you would have had, a, you know, a few different takes from different, you know, uh, me media companies on, on, on the spectrum of, with different points of view. And now it's just like constant and endless all the way down to what's his face. You know, the guy who always put the guy who was the head of media buying at, uh, at, at Bank of America. Um, Lou. Big yeah, Lou. Lou. Big Lou, who would always like throw like a nice T-bone steak on Twitter and, you know, like I'm enjoying this in a glass of Chianti. And he left. He's, he's, on, he's on post.news. Post. Right. 
Right. And so, yeah, then he, he gets on, he's like, goodbye world. I'm leaving Twitter. I mean, just like, it's so crazy. It's Trump all over again. I don't know whether they just have similar personalities or it seems like, you know, Elon basically took apart Trump and like basically reconstructed like his playbook and is running it right now. I have a question for you, you two guys. So, you know, on the way, like through all the chaos, it's really easy to say, and you can rent, you read these takes endlessly, particularly uh, on, uh, with many writers on Substack that Twitter's over, it's gone, it's dead, all that stuff. And, 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 and there's, you know, good reason to believe that we'll never be the same. But it is interesting to see the deck that Elon circulated that was, uh, and, and by the way, the, the commitment to transparency in, in really talking about the changes going on inside of, of Twitter. And I find it incredibly refreshing, but to see that deck and to see here's all the features that we're going to be, you know, working on and, and, and pushing out with, with, with some urgency and regularity was cool. I think it's cool. Yeah. And I think and a lot I've, of times like people who had been at Twitter would say, Oh, this was like on the roadmap in 2018. It's like, whatever, fine, but just, like it, you didn't do it, it like at the end right. of the day. And I think that will end up, whether his approach works will be, end will be what he ships at the end of the day. Like, are they going to be right. able to, that's it, my point. You look, the first thing was Twitter blue, you know, they shipped that quickly and they had to bring it back because it was totally broken. And, I think what's going to happen, and I really want to hear Alex on this because I respect him a lot. Yeah. I think that you're going to see a shocking amount of productivity from that group. And I think that there, through that, there's going to be lots of missteps, but you're going to see some really interesting new things come out of Twitter. And slowly the world will change their mind on whether or not to, whether they should write it off or not. And Lou may come back and start posting, you know, big porterhouses back up. And <laughs> okay, glasses. good. Maybe a couple of things. I think the only thing we have to go on is the last few weeks of track record that have not felt particularly. I think there were a lot of just for all this effort around being productive and pushing people to work. It was actually incredibly inefficient. I think they just lost a lot of people's time and wasted a lot of people's time. So I don't. I'm not. I'm not impressed. Just just looking as a as a bystander. The thing that genuinely upsets me is just like how mean-spirited this all is and how it's teaching people to be mean-spirited. Like, you know, when I had a, a bunch of product managers reading the Steve Jobs book and thinking like, oh, that's what I've got to do to be good at product. I've got to be asshole, <laughs> right? And you and you used, you sensed in the, in the meeting rooms, you sensed a whole different vibe in people thinking that they just had to be dicks. And it's like, nah, man. And, you know, to go back to your Apple thing, like, I don't think Apple's a corporation. I don't think they're benevolent, but at least they build good products and they're capable and they they don't punch down as much publicly towards individuals. They, they kind of stay within this corporate realms. And so corporations fighting each other, I'm fine. I just, the way Elon is doing things, a really bad example uh, for everyone. And now you're hearing a lot of, I mean, what was that take on Twitter? I don't remember who it was, but said like, you know, I'm hearing that from a lot of founders that after Elon, they're thinking about letting go those two engineers that were bad. Really? Like you were given permission to do your job? Well done. Elon's going to tell us that we should fire people and build efficient companies. 
I just, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's great. I think we like role models. I think people, you know, uh, 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 kind of, uh, you know, like uh, leaders need to be examples of how to behave. And he's not, so that's my only thing. So last few weeks, I think that's totally fair. And he's being a dick. Hey, Alex, you know, I had to break up a fight at Thanksgiving about this between my daughter and my niece. Mm. And it Which was, side was your daughter on? Well, my, you know, one of them was uh, was going off on how Elon doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, and he's cutting so deeply, you know, into the company, firing engineers that are the only ones that know how to operate Twitter, and he's a fool that set off my daughter, and she went, like, right for the jugular. And my daughter's, like, obviously kind of got a little bit of a banker mindset because that's, that's what she does. So she's, I would say, more pro-business. Pro <laughs> pro Elon. Yeah. And it actually got nasty very. And uh, I thought, Grace, my dears, let's not do this. And so we, I had to, I had to separate. Wow. Is that Thanksgiving? That's like a classic Thanksgiving. It's a very modern take though. I think the discourse has become like a little bit too tainted. So the, the way I try to frame it, so I don't get angry is I just look at the record from the moment he started talking about buying it to today which has been a disaster, and also the way he carries himself, which has been disappointing. That's where I'll leave it. Did you okay. see his night table? He posted a picture of his night table. What a, yeah, good thing to do this after a bunch of shootings happen, huh? What a dick. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Just a jerk. What, the I, gun and Diet Coke or something? And what else, freedom? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just like pandering to I don't know what. It's yeah. disappointing because he's so smart when he wants to be. Let's finish on good product. All right, let's do that. I really enjoyed the new Jonah Hill documentary on Netflix called Stuts. And it pertains to this conversation in some ways. The show is this portrayal of the relationship between the patient and the therapist. This guy, Phil Stutz, is Jonah Hill's therapist. And Hill turns the camera on him and they have this kind of wonderful personal back and forth that I guess is kind of like a rumination on their process together. And that's his unconventional approach to helping clients get their heads straight. And so it's the strength of their relationship together and the humor. And they have a sh- sort of shared loss. They both lost their brothers. And Stutz is on a mission to, to kind of fulfill his life's work against a kind of slow battle with Parkinson's. So it's, it's a really great doc. And inside of it, you know, the motivation of Jonah Hill was to share the lessons from this remarkable, he's sort of a therapist to the stars. And one, the couple things, many, it's all about tools. And there's something about this Stutz guy that I love because he's like a straight talk in New Yorker. And at one point he says, I have a quote here. He says, uh, he was really way too impatient with traditional models of therapy, which he described as agonizingly slow and requiring a lot of patient suffering. And then he says, quote, if I'm dealing with someone with depression like that, who is afraid they won't recover, I say, 
do what the fuck I tell you, do exactly what I tell you, I guarantee you will feel better. And he's just this kind of character, right? But the interesting thing that I took away from it, I'll probably write a note on it, I'll send it out, this podcast, is this notion he has of string of pearls, which is just about putting one foot in front of the other. It's about momentum in your kind of mental health journey. And I think it's broadly about momentum in life in just moving, always moving forward. And um, I love, I love, love, love the, the idea of, you know, just kind of a ruthless focus. Not a, I mean, it's certainly in business about how we, we kind of minimize the things that we, that we have typically done around organizing people against a task and it involves a lot of communication and politics and management and all of this and just really streamlining it down to the things that we have to do to put one foot in front of the other and i think that this is very much his approach and process with with mental health that there's a bunch of tools and they involve practices that you can do in quiet moments in everyday life and they'll make you feel better today and tomorrow and I loved it. I love this. I love this doc. I think you should watch. Okay. Is this Netflix? I just canceled Netflix. Netflix. Shit. What? Yeah. Who cancels Netflix? I did. You I, I, I hadn't Swift. watched Netflix. Did you cancel in... your water? What? I hadn't watched Netflix. Coffee, Brian. I hadn't. I hadn't watched Netflix in like three months. And end of the year, you clean out like subscriptions. That's great. Is it? Is it a one-off or is it a series? Just a one-off. It's great. Loved okay. it. Okay. It's gonna be interesting watching this with my therapist wife. <laughs> Surprise there are more celebrity I, therapists. You know what I did this uh, Thanksgiving? I deleted all social media and uh from from my phone except Apple News. That was a good product. Speaking of canceling Netflix, that was good. You did? Even TikTok? Even TikTok. But I gotta you, try you that. still you access them on your on your on your computer? Was that what you is that yeah, the Twitter Twitter I'll get on my computer. yeah, Twitter I'll get on my computer. It gives Are you me, quitting gives Twitter? Me some boundaries. No, why? Well, I, I like was... the problem. Right. By the way, am I quitting Twitter? I own a Tesla car, I own Tesla Powerwall batteries, and uh my home internet is Starlink. So I'm fucking, you know, link Oh yeah, you know, join at the hip with this fucker. <laughs> What do you want me to do? I'm going to quit Twitter now? If I quit Twitter, I better get rid of all the other shit. Okay, let's leave it there. Big thanks to Troy Alex and our podcast editor, Jay Sparks of Pod Help Us. A reminder, please do send me your feedback on the show. You can email me at bmrsc at gmail.com and to leave the show a rating on Apple and Spotify. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review there. I hope it's nice and I hope the ratings are five stars. Bye.